Um, I'd like to take a, just one minute to uh, uh, set a couple things right. <laughs> one is uh, um, I want to let you know that um, it fell to me a while back to speak on some of these things that I'm going to speak on today and I, uh, on a Wednesday night and I went through the, uh, the whole scripture and failed to make the main point at the end. And uh, so I'm going to try to rectify that today. So if you were here that Wednesday night and you recognize some of these scriptures, well, they're some of my favorites anyway. And uh, I apologize. Also, on that same night, I want to apologize that I made a comment about everybody being a back row Baptist. And I want to apologize for that. I'm not saying it's not true. <laughs> I'm just saying I apologize for saying it. And uh, it's kind of like me. Uh, I've lost all my hair, and uh, I'm, I'm over 60 now, so that's probably young to some people, but it's mo old to most people, right? So I'm, uh, and, and I'm overweight, I know that, but uh, I don't want you all to just come up to me all the time and say, hello there, you old fat bald man, right? So as Christians, we need to speak the truth whenever we speak, but we don't always have to speak, right? So, so I apologize for saying that. Anyway. Uh, I'd like a show of hands. Everybody, does anybody know John 3.16? Yeah, I like it. What does John 3.16 say? It says, for whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him will have eternal life. How about this one, Romans 10.9? <laughs> everybody remember that one? We learned that here in the sanctuary not too long ago, right? What does Romans 10, 9 say? For if we openly declare his Lord, we in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved, right? So, how about that? There's another one, too. There's uh, <clears throat> Genesis 15, 6 says, everybody remember that one, right? <laughs> uh, it says, uh, for Abraham believed God, and God reckoned that to him as righteousness, right? So what's the common thread here in all these verses? It's believe. Believe. Yes, indeed. We got to believe, right? We have to believe. We have to believe. If we believe, we'll be saved, right? So uh, let's turn to James chapter 2. Verse 19, and it says, You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Well, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Wow, that's kind of scary. That's scary to me. Because that word believe is so important to me. And here it says, you say you have faith for you believe there is one God. And then it says good for you from the Greek that translates big whoop. <laughs> so now we believe, but it says it doesn't matter. Is that what it says? It says even the, 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 the demons tremble. The demons believe. So are we no better than the demons if we just believe? 
But what about the promise in John 3.16 and all the other scriptures where it says we've got to believe? This has been something that bothers me. It's bothered me for a long time, and you know what? I finally found the answer, and I'm so excited to be able to tell you the answer today. <laughs> uh, I was just reading along one day in Romans, Romans 4.12. It'd probably be handy to turn there if you can. Romans 4.12, Paul speaking to the Roman church, right? And it says, and Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. So he says here, I don't want to focus on circumcision, if you don't know what that is, Tim Harris is available to explain it to you. Rod, he's somewhere here too. But it says, and Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith. Well, when he says same kind of faith, folks, that tells me that there are at least two kinds of faith, more than one, right? Because he's saying there's a kind of faith. There's a kind of belief, Right? So it's just not, yeah, oh, I know God, God, God exists. There's a special kind of belief that says makes us his spiritual children, right? So what kind of faith is that? Well, that's pretty easy because we know Abraham, right? We can find Abraham. So let's look up Abraham in Genesis 18. Now, Genesis, uh, while you're looking, Genesis, uh, the, the experts all seem to agree that uh, Moses wrote Genesis, but Moses lived maybe 2,000 years later than, than when Genesis happened, so he wasn't there. So we know that Moses wrote Genesis by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit told Moses what to write. Is that right? So Moses is writing about Abraham, and uh, in 18 verse 1, it says, The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day Abraham was sitting at the entrance of his tent during the hottest part of the day. Funny that the Holy Spirit would tell Moses to write that down. I mean, who cares what time of day it is, right? It was the hardest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby, and when he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, do as you have said. So Abraham ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, hurry, get three large measures of your best flour, knead it into dough, and bake some bread. Then Abraham ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to his servant, who quickly prepared it. When the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and milk and the roasted meat, and he served it to the men. And as they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. So what kind of a guy is this Abraham then? Well, first of all, 
This is a desert. Now, it's an oasis in the desert, but it's hot. It gets to be 120 degrees there, and this is the hottest part of the day. So cultures that live in these kind of situations, they tend to get up real early in the morning when it's cool, and they get some work done, and then they go in where it's cool, where it's cooler, because the day's getting hot, so they go in where it's cool and rest, and then they come out later in the evening when it starts to get cool again. Nobody messes around in the hard spot of the day because it's 120 degrees out there. But it says they showed up at the hottest part of the day, and so what does Abraham do? He looked up and noticed the men sitting nearby, standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. So he not only gets up during the hottest part of the day, but he runs. Now let's look at who Abraham was for a while. Now, Abraham was a powerful and rich man. Abraham had some dignity about him. Do you know that Abraham had an army of like 400 guys that he hired and they just followed him around? I mean, Abraham was a tough man, you know? If I had 400 mercenaries that I hired and they worked for me, I'd be pretty tough too. I think I'd smart off to trip tuggle. Yeah, I'd smart off to trip tuggle and Rod Ellis at the same time. And I'd say, okay, See to it with my buddies back here. There's 400 of them. Go ahead. So Abraham was a tough guy. He was rich and powerful. He had dignity. He had status. Now, all you ladies wear high heels and dresses. Do you ever run in high heels and dresses? Try not to, right? Why is that? Why don't you run? Because it's awkward and dangerous. And you know, guys in the old days, they wore robes, so they couldn't run. And if they did, they looked funny, and it looked awful. And so they dignified people in those days didn't run. They didn't. They were cool. They walked. They strutted. So for a patriarch like Abraham, who is powerful and rich, to get up, jump up, and start running around was totally undignified. It's totally undignified. So he runs around, and then what does he do? He says, my Lord, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. So he recognizes that God is visiting him in some form or another, and he invites him in. He wants him to stay. He wants him to stay. Why is that? Because he craves God's presence. He wants to spend time with the Lord. He sees this is an opportunity. The Lord is here. I want to be with him. I don't want him to go. I want to hold him here. Rest in the shade of the tree while water is brought to you. Wash your feet. And since you have honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. So, all right, they said, do do as you have said. So Abraham ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, hurry, get three measures of flour. Uh, Be sure you use that old stuff, right? No. He says, get your best flour, right? Your best flour. Sarah says, no, I'm sorry. I was uh, saving that. Going to make cupcakes for the Tuesday night, ladies prayer meeting but she doesn't do that she obeys him she does it 
Then Abraham ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to his servant who quickly prepared it. So he himself ran again in the heat of the day out to pick out the best one. He didn't want just anything. He wanted the best one. Then he ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf. Quick prepared it. When the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and milk and the roasted meat and he served it to the men. And as they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. Waited on them in the shade of the trees? God visited him. He was bringing him a message. He wanted to talk to him. So why does Abraham not belly up to the table and have the meeting? This is an important meeting. He's an important man. Why does he not sit down with them and talk to them? What does it mean to stand back? Now, I've never been in a position to have house servants but I've seen it on TV. And that's what they do. When they serve, they stand back. They got a little towel over their hands and they sit there and wait to see if somebody needs something. And that's what Abraham does. So let's just recap. What does he do? First of all, Abraham had faith, right? And Paul says that's the kind of faith we need to have, right? That's the kind of belief. James says, there's a wrong kind. <laughs> and Paul says, here's the right kind. It's like Abraham. And so what does Abraham's belief do? Well, first of all, he recognizes his God, and that's the most important thing. He recognizes his Lord. He recognizes God when he sees him. That's the main thing. Then what does he do? Well, he starts running around like a chicken with his head cut off. What does that mean? Well, he's cast off his own dignity. He's denying himself, isn't he? You see, he is not trying to be an important person. God is here. He, he doesn't care about himself anymore. He has self-denial. And then what does he do? He springs into action. He obeys. He does what he's supposed to do. He doesn't just sit there and say, Whoo, God's here. He springs into action. He's going to do something for the Lord. And he wants the Lord to linger. <laughs> he just wants the Lord to stay. Just come in. Come in. In Revelation it says, I stand at the door and knock. Well, he didn't have to knock. Abraham already is embracing him. He's saying, come in. Come in and sit a while. Come in and be with me. He wants to be with his Lord. Then what does he do? Pull out the leftovers from the fridge, gives him his best. He recognizes his Lord. He denies himself. He springs into obedience. He wants to linger with the Lord. He gives his best, and then what? Becomes a servant. Does it all in the spirit of a servant. So you see, folks, this is the kind of faith that we need to have. Why? What is this faith doing? Can you think of anybody else in Scripture that resembles that? Somebody who thought it not a great thing to be the same as the Father, who was perfectly obedient, who came into action, who washed his disciples' feet? Who was that? Jesus. So you see, folks, what I get from this is that true faith, true belief 
is a belief that causes us to be more like Christ. That's what Abraham did. That's what his faith caused him to do, to be more like Christ, and God counted it to him as righteousness. This wasn't a superficial belief. This was real belief, and that's why James says, don't just believe, you have to have belief that causes works in your life, that causes a change. My kids were young one day. They're grown up now. And uh, they might have been three and four. And it was about bedtime, and I was sitting in the living room, and uh, um, they were playing in the bedroom off to the side there, and all at once I hear this blood-curdling scream. And it was simultaneous, both of them, the boy and the girl, screamed, blood-curdling scream, and came running out crying, Daddy, Daddy. I could, well, what happened? They couldn't tell me what happened. No, they just kept screaming. So I didn't know what to do. Is there a snake? What, what, snake get in the house? I don't know. So I go in there, and you know what they'd done? They had somehow gotten hold of some keys. They had one key in this side of the socket and the other one in this side of the socket. This is back in the 70s before all the child safety stuff. Maybe that's why we have those little plastic things now. <laughs> And you know what? They didn't want to play in that room anymore. As a matter of fact, when they finally went back in and played with their toys several days later, they stayed away from that thing. Like, ooh. And they believed, buddy, in electricity, let me tell you, they believed. <laughs> because they took some action, which was to stay away from that horrible thing. We don't know what it is, but we're staying away. We have to have belief that causes us to be more like Christ. So how do we do that? I don't know. What do you guys think? You know, the other day, I was in the lobby of this, this church. I love this church. I was talking to Kenton Powell. And uh, all at once, Matt Bex walks up and says to Kenton, Hey, I hear you're going to the Send Conference. Kenton goes, Yeah, I'm going to the Send Conference. And guess what? My son Matt, he's going to introduce me to David Platt. And Matt goes, oh, really? David Platt? Man, I wish I could meet David Platt. Man, I wish I could go. If I went, do you think you could get Matt to introduce me to David Platt? Ken says, I don't know, but I'm going. And then they, they start talking about, have you read his book? And yeah, I haven't read that one, but I can get ready to read that one. And they're all excited. Well, I was kind of bah humbug, you know, who's this David Platt? I never heard of no David Platt. These guys are kind of embarrassing me. They look like a couple of 12-year-olds talking about Taylor Swift. <laughs> I kind of eased away from these weirdos like that, and then I thought, well, you know, I wonder about this David guy. So I started checking out. He's a way cool guy. You know, he's a Christian man. He's a leader in the Christian community. He's a leader in the Baptist organization. He's an author. He loves the Lord. He's a great guy. I want to meet him. Yeah, I want to meet him. Why do I want to meet him? Because I learned about him, didn't I? Because I learned about him. And he sounds cool. He's a guy that's worthy to be met. Yeah, I'll drive to Nashville and meet David Platt. Sounds like a really cool guy. So you see, that's how we get this faith. 
we have to know our Lord. You see, he becomes attractive. And there's a whole other sermon to be preached about Matt Betts and Kent and Powell, you know, how they were excited and how it made me attracted. You know, if we would talk about our Lord like that, maybe people would be attracted. If we were excited instead of being all down because we can't do all the fun things that the Bible says we can't do. You know, if we were more excited, maybe more people would want to know our Lord, be excited. Maybe they'd research a little. Maybe they'd come to faith if we were more excited. But let's not talk about that. Let's talk about us. Let's talk about us. How excited are we about the Lord? So it makes me wonder if we really know him. So how do we attain this faith? Well, let's turn to Job, chapter 38. And I'm going to, real quick, real quick, I want to go through some experiences that Job had. Now, to summarize Job while you're looking that up, what do we know about Job? Well, he was a righteous man, it says in Job 1. He was righteous. He was already righteous. Satan says to God, oh, yeah, sure, he's righteous, big whoop. He, he believes in you because you treat him so well. So we don't, you know, he says, if, if, if things go bad for him, he'll curse you. God says, no, he won't. So God says, go ahead, see what you can do. He won't curse me. So Satan attacks him, and in the first wave of, of horror, uh, Job loses his, all his possessions and all his family. You know what Job says? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. So he's a pretty faithful guy. I'm not so sure I could do that. Mm, I'd be a little upset if everything lost in one day. Job says, Lord give, the Lord take it away. And then, as we know, that they, they go on and, 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 and then Satan says, well, yeah, but he's still healthy. If I take his health, he'll curse you. God says, okay, take his health. So now Job is sick. So now he's sick and he's penniless. And he used to be a powerful man, kind of like Abraham, but now he's not anymore. And now he's starting to question things. So he's questioning. He has these friends that they're kind of wise, but they're not really. They're doing more harm than good. So anyway, we come to verse 38, which is close to the end of the book. And God finally steps in. And it says in verse 38, or chapter 38, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. So this is the Lord talking. He says to Job, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. And then God starts in on him. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations? And who has, who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? I mean, God just starts in and starts saying, who are you to question me? And so it goes on for the whole chapter. And, uh, and then uh, uh, 39 is the same. And then if you turn over to 40, uh, the Lord continues to speak to Job, and 
In verse 2, he says, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critics, but do you have the answers? And then Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. I'm nothing. It's a good response. <laughs> good response. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I'll say nothing more. That's actually a good answer. But I wonder, I wonder if Job said, I'm not going to talk anymore, Lord. I'm just going to be quiet. Or did he say, okay, fine. I ain't saying another word. We don't know. But we do know that the Lord starts in on him again. He starts in on him. He says, brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. In other words, the Lord's not accepting this. He's talking to him again, and he starts in. Will you discredit my justice and condemn me just to prove you are right? Are you as strong as God? Can you thunder with a voice like this? All right. Put on your glory and splendor then. Your honor and majesty. Give vent to your anger. Let it overflow against the proud. And Job starts to see that he can't do this. And God goes on and on and on and on. And then... In 42, verse 1, Job replies to the Lord, I know that you can do anything, and no one can stop you. You ask, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before. Job says to the Lord, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. Now I understand. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. How can we stand in God's presence and think we're in control? Where do we come off thinking that we're in charge? It's like we don't understand. It's like Job, although he really understood God, he knew God, but he didn't really understand, did he? He didn't really understand until the end. And then what did he do? He says, I fall in my face in repentance. So, you know, we were joking around earlier about old, fat, and bald. See, you all don't have to tell me that. Because I already know that. How do I know that? Because every day I have to shave in the mirror, you know. I see myself in the mirror. Stupid mirror won't lie to me. When we see God, it's like a mirror. As a matter of fact, in uh, James, I think, chapter 1, James chapter 1, uh, 
he talks about a mirror. He says that those who read the scripture, um, I don't really remember it, those who read the scripture uh, are like somebody who sees themselves in a mirror and then leaves and forgets. You see, folks, when we see God, it's that mirror. When we see God, then we see ourselves how we are. That's the first thing. When we see God, we see ourselves how we are, and so then we have to take the appropriate action to obey him, to to conform to him. Don't just walk away and forget what you saw in the mirror. So how do we get to really know God? Well, you know what, guys? I got to tell you something. One of the best moments of my entire life was when my daughter in her late 20s, almost 30, came to me and said, Dad, how do you do it? How did you do it all those years? Because what was going on in her life when she was 30? Well, she had kids. She had a career, work, house, bills, troubles, (laughs) all kinds of stuff. Overwhelmed with life, and she says, Dad, how did you do it? That was so cool for me because I thought, my daughter finally understands me but she was 30 you know i was 50 before i understood my dad before i really got him before i really understood what he was about so let's take let's just take a survey let's survey our lives when you're one you don't know anything about anything right but when you're two you figured out that these two people that are your parents when i cry they come yeah you figured that out and when you're three you got a little bit more grasp of who your parents are and that they kind of made you and by the time you're 10 you got a better idea of them they're basically your provider right anything you need they provide by the time you're 13 uh you kind of know more than them and you're going into that rebellious stage but by the time you're in your late 20s you go wow my parents are way cool and tim spoke about this last week what is our age what is what level of understanding do we have of our lord when we're first born when we're saved the very first time we we pray to the lord and 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 we say i want to be your child open the door come in we're one year old we're, we're newborns we don't understand anything and that's fine but then we got to grow right so let's assess where are we where are we let's make sure that we understand our father because you see that's where our faith comes from Anybody use Angie's list? I don't because I'm a, I'm a, I'm internet phobic. But you know, you notice my PowerPoint slides, right? <laughs> so you know, if, if we're going to hire a plumber, we'll vet him out on Angie's list, or your car repairman, or somebody, your mechanic. But we don't take time. To know who our father is we're stuck at age 10 where all he does is provide for us and we enjoy it 
Folks, you want revival? You want bold faith? Get to know your God. Get to know him. How do you get to know him? Well, you read the Bible. It's his autobiography. You get to study the works of Christ because he is God in person. We can actually see everything he said and did. Look at the own work in your life. You know, the songs we sang today were perfect. We're perfect. Even though he knows what's in my heart, he loves me anyway. Can you love somebody? If you, could you love people that have horrible stuff in their hearts? Isn't that a miracle in itself? Let's look at God. Look at God's attributes. He is all-powerful, all-powerful. He is infinite in every way. Isaiah 15 uh, verses 8 and 9 say, Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts, and your ways are higher than my ways. And I think, higher? That's got to be the understatement of the forever. He's, he's so much higher than us that we can't even imagine that. So, folks, if we want to have bold faith, if we want revival in our lives, if we want to live without worry, we need to understand who he is. And by understanding who he is, we understand who we are. We get everything in the right perspective. I wrote down some scriptures and uh, put them on some papers that are in the windowsill. So pick one up as you leave. And it's just a few verses, a few verses that explain and talk about the Lord, talk about who he is. So I challenge you, if, if, if you have not been born into the family of God, today could be your birthday. Let's do it today. Come down. I'll pray with you. Tim will pray with you. There's deacons. We'll all pray with you. If you're stuck at age 10, come down. We'll see if we can, can, can get that moving again. So as we close, come down. Come down and we'll pray. You know, Moses, and this is the last thing I'll say. Moses, we know the story of Moses, right? Moses was chosen by God. He's, he saw God in the burning bush. He saw God in the miracle when he, he threw his staff down and it turned into a snake and he picked it back up and it turned back into his staff. Then he went to Egypt. He saw the ten plagues. He takes the people out. They're trapped at the sea and the sea parts. They go in the desert. He sees water come out of rocks. He sees manna. He sees the pillar of fire. And then through all this, one time God says, Moses, I like you. What can I do for you? And Moses says, Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Has he not seen God's glory? The thing is, Moses realized that God's glory is infinite and that he had only seen that much. So if Moses had only seen a little bitty bit of God's glory and all the things he saw, how much of God's glory have we seen? So our prayer needs to be today, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. So let's pray that, folks. Let's pray, Lord. Show me your glory that I may have faith, that I may have bold faith. That I may have a greater understanding of who you are.